Hey y'all, Eve's here. We're doubling up today with two events in history. On with the show. Hey, I'm Eve's, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers history one day at a time. The day was February 3rd, 1972. Iran had endured a four-year drought. But on this day, an intense blizzard started in Iran and didn't end for a week. All over Iran, people were buried beneath the snow. The snowstorm was the deadliest one in recorded history. Iran generally has a pretty hot and dry climate, but snow is no stranger to the mountainous areas of the country. This snowstorm, though, hit northwest, central, and southern Iran. There had been smaller storms in January, but this one was so powerful that it buried 200 villages. From February 3rd until February 9th, the snowstorm ripped across the country, burying the land in 10 to 26 feet, or 3 to 8 meters, of snow. Iran was not prepared for this disaster, and the storm was devastating. Temperatures got down to minus 13 Fahrenheit, or minus 25 degrees Celsius, in some places, causing pipes to freeze and a shortage of water. Cable and telephone lines snapped. Roads were cut off. People were trapped in cars and froze to death. U.S. sources reported that an American college student and two of her friends who had been mountain climbing near Tehran when the storm hit were missing. And the five-person team who went to look for them also vanished in the search. And as if the destruction caused by the snow weren't enough, a flu was spreading through snowbound villages, killing some people. And without water, food, heat, and medical assistance, some people who had managed to survive the blizzard died from lack of resources. When the snow let up on February 9th, Rescue workers got the chance to go by helicopter out to places where trains, cars, and entire towns have been buried by snowfall. What they found was grim. In one case, a search team reached a village near the border of Turkey where 100 people had lived. But the village at the bottom of the Zagros Mountains was empty. They didn't find anybody there alive, but they did find 18 bodies buried in the snow. On February 11th, another blizzard started up. Army helicopters had dropped bread and dates in the hopes that people would reach them, but many never did. Newspapers at the time put the number of missing people at 6,000, but it's thought today that around 4,000 people died because of the snowstorm. Most of those deaths were recorded in and near Ardakan, in central Iran. I'm Eves Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can subscribe to This Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you here in the same place tomorrow. Hey y'all, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, where we uncover a new layer of history every day. 
The day was February 3rd, 1953. Portuguese landowners and colonial officials killed hundreds of Creole workers in Sao Tome in an event that became known as the Batepa Massacre. The Portuguese arrived at the islands of Sao Tome and Principe sometime around 1470. Alvaro Caminha got a land grant from the Portuguese crown and established a successful community on Sao Tome in 1493. As they attempted to colonize the islands, they brought in many convicts, Jewish people who had been expelled from Portugal, children who had been separated from their parents, as well as enslaved Africans. Those enslaved Africans were forced to work the land, turning the fertile volcanic soil into sugar plantations. By the mid-16th century, Sao Tome had become a major exporter of sugar. But sugar cultivation soon declined on the island due to competition, and an enslaved man named Amador brought together thousands of enslaved people on the island in 1595 in a revolt that destroyed many plantations, sugar mills, and houses. As the economy declined and many plantation owners left the island, Sao Tome became a stop for ships engaged in the slave trade. By the early 1800s, coffee and cacao had displaced sugar as Sao Tome's cash crops. By the beginning of the 20th century, Sao Tome had become the world's largest producer of cacao. Portuguese companies and absentee landlords owned huge plantations called hosas that occupied all productive farmland. Even though Portugal had officially abolished slavery in its African colonies by this time, the practice of forced paid labor continued. This system essentially operated as slavery. The Portuguese brought in contract laborers from Cape Verde, Angola, Mozambique, and other parts of the empire against their will and without repatriating them. Though the laborers were technically free after purchase, they were bound to contracts that were automatically renewed once they expired. They could also be sold or inherited. Working conditions were poor and laborers were abused, and the children of these laborers were born into the system. But the system required new labor constantly since birth rates were low and mortality rates were high. People around the world took notice of the corruption and abuse that was taking place on the plantations in Sao Tome, and some boycotted products from the island. After World War I ended, hospitals were added to the Hosas, and cacao production declined. Still, abuse continued on the plantations that remained, and social unrest persisted. A language developed on the island that became known as Foho Creole, Descendants of Portuguese colonists and enslaved Africans became known as Fojos. Fojos refused to do field work as they considered it beneath them and only fit for enslaved people or contract laborers. But as the plantations faced labor shortages, Fojos feared that they would be forced to do contract labor, and tension between the colonial government and Fojos escalated. This culminated in the Batepa massacre on February 3, 1953. As Foho protesters gathered that day in Batepa, the Portuguese moved to crush what they deemed a communist rebellion. Militias, Portuguese planters, and colonial authorities tortured and killed hundreds of Fojos. Many Fojos were taken to a forced labor camp, and other prominent Fojos and sympathetic planters were sent to Principe. Though it's likely that hundreds of people died, the exact number of deaths is unclear. The massacre marks a pivotal moment in the nationalist movement on Sao Tome and Principe. 
The event led to the formation of the Committee for the Liberation of Sao Tome and Principe. In July of 1975, the islands gained their independence. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you're hungry for more history, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at T-D-I-H-C podcast. And you can email us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for going on this trip through history with us. We'll see you again tomorrow with another episode.